Let's go to the I Am Saints week three. Praise the Lord. I'm enjoying this series personally and privately. And we're going to do this section now, weeks three and four, from the same part of John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus says, I'm the gate, or more commonly translated, I'm the door. That's the more accurate translation of the Greek. And I am the good shepherd. We'll do I'm the good shepherd next week, and we'll do I am the door this week. So let me read, from you, read to you from John 10, verses 1 to 10. The passage probably would be better read up to 21, but I'm going to save that for next week. So John 10, verses 1 to 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can see on the board behind me that John 10, 10 has been highlighted in Jesus' hands because I think that's essentially the key phrase, key, key verse in this, in this passage. Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life in all this fullness. And there's a reason why he says that. He's contrasting his teaching with what happens in chapter 9, which we'll address in a minute. But let me read chapter 10 of John's Gospel, verses 1 to 10. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, this reading flows out of the story in chapter 9. It's important that we reference that, otherwise we'll try and overlay onto Jesus' words something more than what he was trying to say to the hearers in that moment. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man, and the Pharisees throw that blind man out of the synagogue owing to his confessions related to that healing. Jesus then spins a teaching like he does elsewhere in John's Gospel, I believe, chapter 5, chapter 6. He does the same thing. There's a discourse, a teaching after a miracle, a sign. Um, He tries to explain a teaching from an event. He likens, in, in chapter 10, he likens the Pharisees' actions to being like sheep rustlers and reminds them that he is the only legitimate access point to God's true sheep. Anyone can bypass anyone who can bypass him to get to people for religious purposes in God's name are false shepherds and will only steal, kill, and destroy from those who are seeking abundant life that only God brings. For the sheep, too, there is a promise that if they enter through Jesus, the only legitimate door, there'll be access to lush green grass. It's abundant life. Now, the phrase abundant in the, in the Greek there has a really strong flavor. I just want to talk to you very briefly about what the word abundant means if we literally render it. Abundant life, as it's described in this adjectival sense, abundant life, abundant is perisos, and it means more, greater, 
as we, as we translate it commonly, abundant, exceedingly, vehemently, or it has this sense of being preeminent or have an advantage if it's used in another sense. So what Jesus is talking about is anyone who enters by the gate which is himself or the door which is himself into a salvation experience should have a more life, a greater life, a life with excessive blessing, a life exceedingly abundantly above all we ever ask or think in another passage. It's the more life that a Christian should have. Now, you know as well as I do from those who watched Songs of Praise that there are many people in those, I'm not against Songs of Praise, praise the Lord for, for Christian TV, and, but there are people on Songs of Praise who are the frozen chosen, right? Some, some weeks. Some of them sat there on any, any given row in any given church who have been baptized in lemon juice. They're, they're, they've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? <laughs> Quoting from a song. I've got that joy, joy, joy. Do you remember it? Salty again. Oh, Salty discipled me, Mandy. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where, Dan? Where, where is the joy? Where's the abundant life? Where's the joy in spite of what you're going through? Where's the joy that Jesus exhibited? Jesus had, as the Bible says, was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. So, so what we're talking about, I'm not trying to bring it down. I know life has difficult seasons, but something of what was on Jesus can be on his people. Something supernatural can bypass the normal human propensity to be down in a difficult season of their life. But the abundant life that Jesus came to bring meant that he was the uplift to the original place that human beings should have been. When, when God set garden out for Adam and Eve, it was paradise. And I believe in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, there is a shift for all people who believe in him towards paradise again. You know as well as I do that in this life we can experience bliss of heaven on earth. Those of you who have pressed into worship have touched the presence of God. There isn't any human experience like it. There isn't anywhere you'd want to go, anywhere you'd like to be except from the presence of the Lord. Can I just have a quick show of hands, those who've enjoyed the presence of the Lord, who've been in the presence of the Lord and just not wanted to leave. Yeah, amen. See, that's true Christianity. And I know there are times where practically, in an organization, in a normal existence of living a human life, being a parent, sorting life and practically, I've been with the Lord and not wanted to leave. Forgive the crudity of this image, but it's rather like two lovers who are enjoying one another so much that they wouldn't rather be anywhere else. That's intimacy. That's intimacy. And God calls, in a spiritual sense, people to intimacy where you just don't want to be anywhere else but with the Lord. This is abundant life. You see, if I don't mention it again, Jesus is abundant life. Jesus is the more in our journey. Let's look in detail now about the Pharisees, the idea that they were another pathway to God's people, another pathway to God, and Jesus said they're illegitimate shepherds, 
They're an illegitimate pathway to God's people. Do you remember he says, anyone who climbs in another way because sheep rustlers were there in those days when Jesus was teaching, they're false shepherds and they're not showing the true way to God. Because Jesus says later in the gospel, doesn't he? I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He says any religious path that bypasses himself in the name of God are false shepherds who only want to steal, kill, and destroy. Can we just make a side point on the teaching of taking the Lord's name in vain? Now, we know that all over the world, people dishonor the name of Jesus. They use it as a swear word. It's very strange that they don't dishonor the name of other deities and use that as a swear word. Jesus is maligned across the nations, but more so, people do things in his name, things like the Crusades, And when we think of the commandment, thou shalt not use the name of the Lord in vain, it is in some cases actually probably the best rendering in Hebrew studies is to misuse the name and say that you are representing God and God is not with you. Um, The Greek sense of um, vanity is empty gloria, kenodoxia. That's why the Bible says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Kenodoxy, seeking glory for yourself. It's, the, the literal rendering of that is empty glory. It's empty. If we self-worship, we've gone against design. We're built to worship God. It's kenodoxia. It's empty glory. And to take the name of God in vain, to say, I represent the Lord, and God is not with you, is breaking one of the first commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall not misuse, actually, the right rendering the name of the Lord. These crusades are in the name of the Lord. We've got the cross on our armor. No, no, sorry, Jesus is not with you in your crusades, butchering people. You can't say that Jesus is back in this military effort. And there's lots of things I spoke to Jewish people, they, they they did not understand. People like Hitler claimed to be Christian. Speaking to this Jewish person on a plane, I was reading a book, Has God Finished with Israel? probably not the sort of book to read on a plane going to Israel. <laughs> this lady lent in and she said, well, has he? And then I was able to get the Bible out. And I read from Romans 11, has God finished with Israel? By no means, to your hits or I. And I started to take her through the scriptures to show her that God is planning to, to set the world up for the return of Jesus to the Mount of Olives that the the Gentiles will trample the nation of Israel until the point just before Jesus returned. Jesus says that 2,000 years later, in the 20th century, the Jews returned to Israel. It's the time, folks, of Jesus appearing. And so this woman starts streaming with tears because all she knew about was the Spanish Inquisition and Elf Hitler and all the people who claim to be Christian, doing things in the name of God. Yes, we represent the Lord. Jesus would say they're false shepherds. God is not with you. Her husband swapped places with her when she started streaming with tears. He was a big boy. I was like, hey, up. <laughs> he said, I was the national goalkeeper for Israel. So, interesting. You look like you could be. You've got massive hands and a big body. I'll be very gentle with both you and your wife. Now, that was just thinking. Think a lot, say very little. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, what do you do now? He said, I work for Israeli intelligence. <laughs> I'm like, is this Mossad? Oh, my goodness. He's going to 
break my neck with his fingers. <laughs> Throw me out the window. <laughs> but the Jews, this reason I mentioned that story is the Jews think in some quarters that these are Christian. These are the Christ followers. Jesus said they're following false shepherds. They're entering through the wrong gate. They're like the Pharisees who's coming to the people and saying, follow me. We'll show you how to know Yahweh. Look at our bright clothes. Follow me. Follow me. Look at my lovely raiment. Look at my tassels. Look at what I pray. False shepherds. She said, I'm the way. I'm the door. You fake. You whitewashed. I mean, he was, he was brutal, wasn't he? You whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead man's bones. You're nice and white on the outside. There's no spiritual life on the inside. How many people in our world... <laughs> hey, 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 come and hear me. My new, new religious idea. I have an idea. I was in the lay district in the summer, and I went into a, a, a cafe, and on this, the desk of the cafe was a flyer. And the flyer said, are you suffering with anxiety? So, sometimes. <laughs> Let's have a look. People would be sucked into that in a COVID world. We want to teach you meditation techniques. We want to teach you meditation techniques. Come on. Come on. This is a beautiful spiritual pathway. Come on, get rid of your anxiety. We'll show you. Sorry, some people have gone deaf now. I apologize. I won't do that again. Put it to one side. I'm, I, think I've, I think I've damaged my own ears. <laughs> come. Come. This is great pasture. We'll show you the way to God. Who's your God? Well, we have 330 million gods, sub-gods. Oh, we don't have a God. We just have a universal consciousness. Oh, no, no, no. You could become God. Jesus was just one of those people who became the enlightened ones. He, he exhibited the Christ self. You can become like Jesus too. You can exhibit the Christ self. You can be an enlightened one. Look, he was just an, op an optimized human being. <laughs> I'm sorry, friend. He was the son of God. He was the light of the world. No, 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 come this way. There's all these siren voices in our world that are sucking people into spiritualities that lead to death. And Jesus is nailing that in this moment with the Pharisees and he says, anyone else is a false shepherd. They're steep shielding. They lead to death and killing and destruction. You Pharisees, you false shepherds. You steal, you kill, and you destroy. William Booth predicted Christless Christianity. Still got my ears ringing. William Booth predicted Christless Christianity. What an oxymoron. How does that work? William Booth said, and he died in 1912, the founder of the Salvation Army, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. 
Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. Heaven without hell. He said within the next century this will happen. It's just about 100 years since Booth went to glory. What do we have? All of our news in the name of tolerance, in the name of enlightenment, in the name of progress, that we've become a more sophisticated society that is post-truth. If you want to believe that, that's fine with me. That's your, does it make you happy? Oh, that's good. That's your truth. You want a bit of this? Confucianism, a bit of Buddhism, sprinkling of Hinduism, sprinkling of Islam, sprinkling of witchcraft. I don't mean to impugn people who follow the pathways. I've got friends in these religions. But people are doing pick and mix spirituality in this world. And the world is saying, that's okay, that works, that's fine. Are you happy? You're happy? Good. Well, I'm happy that you're happy. The problem with following a designer, a bespoke pathway, a personal pathway religiously, is that what we're really saying about every truth pathway is there is no truth. And so when you start dismantling things like that and deconstructing truth, you end up with no foundation for existence. That's the, that's the ultimate place society ends. And the place after that is a sense of hopelessness and despair where we might as well live today because tomorrow we die. Let's party, party, party and self-indulge. And this is where our world is. And this is not the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to bring a pathway, the only pathway to God. But he's a rock of offense. He's a stone of stumbling. People don't like Jesus. I, I used to have a teacher who's now the head teacher of the school that I last worked in before I went to train in Bible college. He's a good lad. I went to watch Barcelona with him in, in, at the new camp. And uh, on his stag do, I loved him. Went to his house when he had a tropical illness. Pray for him. It was, it was a good relationship. But every time I'd raise Jesus, and I'd speak about Jesus often in the staff room, he left tire tracks, James, in the staff room. I've never seen a man empty his tray and leave the staff room quicker than when I mentioned Jesus. In fact, when I left and gave my speech from that last school, they knew I was going to Bible college, one lady says, Steve, in this speech, don't mention Jesus. Why not? Whatever did Jesus do? My head teacher, when I left that school, I told her I was called into the ministry. She burst into tears and put her arms around me. Oh, you'll be so good at that. I don't know what I'd done to her. But people are aware of your light, your faith, and they just don't want your Jesus, some people. Because to embrace Jesus means you have to change. To walk in the light of the world, you're aware of your sinfulness. You don't need to tell people to repent of their sins. They know they're sinners sometimes. They know they're sinners. I've had people turn to me in, in prayer moments who are giving their lives to Jesus say, I've got too many sins, Pastor. People know they're sinners. Genuinely. 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 And this is the, the gospel. We have the medicine for the malady. We have the way through their brokenness. And I've literally seen people's faces change as they give their life to Jesus and step from darkness into light. I remember being in a hairdresser once. I've told this story before. Forgive me if you've heard it. 
I always share, Sue knows, I share the gospel. I really pity the hairdressers that have to cut my hair. Share the gospel with the hairdressers. I remember being in one hairdresser's, and the Lord said to me, that girl's dad's died, and he was an alcoholic. And I, I said, I, I, I'm sorry to say this, I'm a Christian minister, we believe God's telling me that your dad was an alcoholic and that he's just passed away. She's like, oh, yes, how did you know that? <laughs> the rest of the hairdressers were absolutely unmoved with the spooky spirituality. Carried on chatting, washing blue rinses, all of this, all the stuff around, whatever they were doing. But then I mentioned the name of Jesus. How do you know that? How did you know that? <laughs> Because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The blue rinses start passionately blue rinsing. The hairdressers were cutting at wrong angles, nearly taking ears off. You felt the atmosphere of the... I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, I felt it. You feel atmosphere. The atmosphere of the room went... <laughs> you just mentioned the name. <laughs> yes, I did. I mentioned Jesus Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. But you feel the opposition to our saviour in a dark, dark world. Jesus is not easily swallowed because with Jesus, it's either in or out. Either through the gate or avoid the gate. Or you're just going to have to climb over another way to get at the right place, the right sheep, the right religious pathway. Jesus is the only way to God. Relativism, religious pluralism in a post-truth world doesn't work. It leads to hopelessness and despair and Everything in reality must be questioned in that worldview. There's a time when people, though, cut through the cacophony of all those bell-ringing voices. There's a time, you know it, people, you know it in your life. There's people in this room who can remember it when they heard him for the first time. Do you remember that day? Do you remember the day when Jesus called you? Because Jesus said, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep and leads them out. And we're going to just go to the next slide. We're going to look at that passage now in verse 3. The sheep hear Jesus' voice and he calls his own sheep and he leads them out. Let's look at that. Because Jesus may be calling people today in this room. I don't know where you're up to. You might be feeling the pull of the Lord Jesus Christ as I'm speaking to you. The pull on your heart might just be happening now. God may be pulling you to his embrace, to his love, to his safety. This is a work of the Holy Spirit according to the scriptures. And Jesus may just be doing that even as I'm preaching. Let's have a think about that verse, verse 3 of chapter 10. The sheep hear his voice, he calls them by name, and he leads them out. The pull that's on people's hearts when somebody mentions the name of Jesus, the pull that either repels or draws. There's no other middle ground with the, with the gospel. It either repels or it draws. I'm going to ask, which is, which is happening to you in this moment? Is it repelling you or is it drawing you? You see, if it's drawing you, this is destiny. It's divine providence. It's a day of salvation. Something's going to change because you heard his voice today. See, God's voice created all things. You may not know that. But the Bible says God's voice created all things. And if his voice is calling you, it's a powerful thing. It can be both physical and spiritual. 
It's rock-splitting voice. It's a sky-painting voice. It's a bird-shaping voice. It's love-making voice. It's a hope-bringing voice. It's a powerful voice. The Bible says if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. It doesn't matter the instrument he's using to speak, but if you hear the truth through any instrument, do not harden your heart. You just miss out on the blessing. You can choose to either close the door of your heart to truth, or you can open your heart to truth. You can close your door of your heart to a preacher, or you can open, and this is for believers too. The benefit comes when you open your heart to the truth, then the transformation can happen. So today, are you hearing his voice? The sheep hear his voice. God, when he calls, let's say the next point in that verse, knows you by name. The Bible says that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. God is a personal God. There are some world religions like Islam where God is apparently, as far as I understand in my limited understanding, a remote God. Muslims talk about this idea of inshallah, in the will of Allah. In other words, there seems to be a fatalism attached to that worldview on who God is in their divine understanding. Well, I believe in a Jesus that draws people close to himself personally. He, he knows your address. He knows your pain. Can I say, and some, I think it might have been dad said this to me years ago. I certainly heard it from someone. There is pain behind every door. And he knows your address and he knows your pain and God comes to knock on the door of your heart today. And he says this to you. Fear not. I've redeemed you by name. I've called you by name. You are mine. If you belong to God, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, he's possessive. He's protective, elsewhere in the scripture says. He's a lover, it says elsewhere. He's a protective parent. He's a kind teacher, and he knows your name. His love for you is a burning fire, and he knows your name. He's a personal God, and he knows every detail of your life. And guess what, church? He loves you just the same. Even the ugly stuff, even in the stuff that you're ashamed of, stuff that you'd hide from a leader in the church, the stuff that you wouldn't want the world to know, the stuff you were watching on the TV or the internet last night, God knows, and he loves you just the same. He's not, he's not a shame bringer. He's a shame carrier. Jesus said, I've not come in to the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. I've come that they might have life and have it in all its fullness. The more life, the excessive life, the greater life, the enriched life, the complete life. This is what Jesus came, came to bring. Have you heard his voice? He knows your name, and the Bible says, and he leads them out. See, our God is a good shepherd and he leads people out of things for their benefit. He leads people out of addiction. He leads people out of self-harming. 
He leads, I've, had, I've had people who self-harmed, and I know them, and God's completely healed their scars. They don't have scars anymore. He's an amazing shepherd. He leads them out of self-harming. He leads people out of depression and anxiety. He leads people out of time-wasting pursuits. He leads people out of harmful eating and drinking habits. He leads people out of financial poverty. He leads people out of emotional and relational brokenness. Can I ask a question? What is he leading you out of today? Because his voice is a drawing to delight. His voice is taking you to good pasture. His voice will never destroy you. His voice will never steal from you. His voice will never kill you. He's drawing you towards abundance. The shepherd always leads towards lush green grass. I used to love the story when I was a kid of the billy goat scruff. Did you enjoy that? Particularly as a primary teacher, I used to love whenever we had kids, our kids being young, we would go over the trip trap bridge. If there was a bridge, I would always act out the billy goat scruff. No, trip trap, trip, come on, come on, trip trap, trip trap. And then I'd be the, the troll underneath. And blah. But the great thing about that story is that God, like that story, leads us to lush green grass. He even gets rid of the troll. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful shepherd. He's kind. He's got your best interests at heart. And he goes before you. Whatever your worldview, he has designs which are good for you. He's thinking a way of getting you out of the mess. He's thinking a way of getting us out of the mess. He's thinking a way of taking us to blessing. Because he's a kind God. And the Bible says his kindness leads us to repentance. Isn't it good to follow this shepherd? When he had brought out all his own, verse 4 says, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. See, he goes before us to good pasture. pasture. He goes before us to abundance. He said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, they'll be saved. The, the Greek word is not just about salvation from your sins through the cross. The Greek word, sozo, used in that passage, is saved, rescued, healed, and delivered. So what is it in your life you may have stepped over into his kingdom that you need saving from? If it's not sins, what is it? Where do you need rescue? Where do you need deliverance? Where do you need his salvation? See, God leads you by his spirit into lush pastures. The spirit of Christ leads the believer on And they will be saved if they hear his voice. It's inevitable. The Bible says many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord saves them out of some of them. I did that intentionally. Some of your people saying, no, 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 pastor. I know the scriptures. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord saves them out of all of them. All of them. We know these truths, but when are we going to stand and put our feet on them and say, God, I've got this issue in my life. You're a good shepherd. You're kind. And you will save me out of this situation because you are good. You see, we've lost the idea that God is good because life has hurt us. But as Dad said on the platform, God really is the only constant. 
God really is the only stable force in your life. God really is the only unchanging, undying sunshine over your journey. God is trustworthy. God is for you. God is kind and has a plan for your life. And our future is bright as God's people. I really believe, and I've wrote it in one of Jim's books, revival is coming. I give it in a hashtag, Jim. It looks a bit scruffy in my hashtag, but revival's coming. Oh, Steve, you're being a bit fanciful. No, Derek Prince in about 1956 was shown by the Spirit, a great end-time move of the Holy Spirit. Smith Wigglesworth saw the same. God is at work in the nations. God is making his people hungry. God is turning our hearts towards him again. But Satan would lie to us, and we would adopt a false view of our good shepherd, and that would stop us from moving on. Because many sheep lie bleeding in the field, unable to progress because they've lost sight of the true shepherd. They've forgotten how good he actually is, how much he has in his hands in terms of resources, and how he can turn any situation around, even sometimes in the 11th hour. I just wonder if there's anything in your life that God needs to turn around. I'm sure you've been praying about it if there is. Maybe you haven't. It's time to start believing again. That God can turn it around. Because he'll save you out of all things. I am the door if, and the if clause is important, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. I have come that they might have life and have it in all of its fullness. The if clause, church, is really vital in this passage. It's conditional. You have to choose it. If anyone enters by me, they'll be saved. The door to abundant life is only through Christ. And that's not just, I believe, for, this, for, the, for the person becoming a Christian. I believe it continues because it says they will go in and they will go out and find pasture. It's through Jesus that we find what we need to do life well. Anything that you've fallen into sin-wise is a usually temptation to meet a legitimate need outside of God's provision, outside of the provision of the shepherd. God wants to provide for you, but your flesh takes you in a direction because sheep wander away from the legitimate provision of a good shepherd. Any sin that you fell in was because you did not remember the if clause in that passage. If you enter by me, you'll go in, you'll go out, you'll find pasture the right way, you'll be safe in the shepherd's care. And so this is where we have to land the message that abundant life is not about having everything that you want. One televangelist, I'll not mention his name because I don't like dissing other preachers, one televangelist said, God is the God of your wants not the God of your needs. I am, the Lord is my shepherd, forgive me, it's not anything against Americans, but this man happened to be American. I shall not want. He's the God of your wants. What do you want, people? Oh, let me think. Has anyone got a lamp? I need a genie. And they forget that abundant life sometimes is found in leanness, in emptiness, in brokenness, in nothingness. Because Jesus plus nothing is everything. 
Paul the Apostle confirmed this when he wrote in Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How, how is that, Paul? How are, you, how are you content? I can do all things through him, Jesus Christ, who gives me strength. It was his connection with Jesus that enabled him to enjoy abundant life, whether in plenty or in want. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, abundant life is found in him through seeking first the kingdom. As a priority, as a lifestyle, seek first the kingdom of Jesus and his righteousness. And then he adds something on the end. And if you do that, if you put the horse before the cart, you'll move forward well and all things you need will be poured onto your lap as well on that consecrated pathway. I could tell you, I started to, we need to close this. I could tell you, and maybe you could tell me too, countless stories of the supernatural provision of God, both financially, practically, in terms of miracles and healing, in terms of deliverance. He's the God who answers the miracle question. Let me ask you the miracle question that I often ask on the streets and in my daily life with people who don't yet know Jesus. I always ask him this question. If God could do anything to show you that Jesus is real and he loves you, died for you on the cross, what would God need to do for you to prove he's for you, he's there, he can be accessed? And I've never known the Lord not to, not to answer that question. I've had the most Atlantic, outlandish requests. I sometimes laugh off the one that says I'd, I'd like him to give me the lottery numbers, of course. I'd like six numbers, please. Well, so would I, is my response to that one. I remember once, and I have shared this before, but some may not have heard it, I was in the Greenhill Community Hub at the Winter Wonderland, and I said to an unsaved non-Christian, secular couple who had three children, what does Jesus need to do to you, do, to do for you so that you would know he's saved? So well, we have no money for Christmas presents and our, our daughter can't speak. So she needs to be able to speak and then I believe in God. I think they put something in front of me that they thought that's impossible. We'll put a stumbling block in front of the preacher. So I prayed a very simple prayer, felt nothing of the presence and power of God, walked out the room and half an hour later, they came back pale-faced and white to the entrance hall. I think it was Les Newman and Rachel who observed this conversation, so it was witnessed by others. I said, what's the matter? He said, well, when you left, shortly after someone came in who didn't hear our conversation and gave us a bag of teddy bears, it was probably Nolan or John Leach, somebody gave us a box of plasticine, and they both said, here's some Christmas presents for your kids. Request number one ticked. But that's not it. They could hardly speak. It was genuinely like this. She said, my daughter is running around shouting and talking. She can speak. This is the Lord who has limitless resources at his fingertips. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God who will do the impossible for you. I know because I've taken people who were drug dealers two weeks before out and they've seen miracles two weeks later. 
when they repented of their sins themselves. It's not about special Christians. It's about a wonderful Savior who loves people and wants to bring his kingdom to bear in their lives. Let me just point to one person. You are really good, Rachel Book, at talking to people about Jesus at the school gates. You are an evangelist. And people who are unashamed of our Lord, wherever they go, that's the key. It doesn't matter if you like street evangelism or not. Be unashamed of Jesus, because that name will divide the crowd. They will see the supernatural wherever they go. One last story. I was in a high school in Skelmersdale with the head teacher of that school next to me on the playground, and Pastor Tony Addig Benro with me as well. Beautiful man of God. Beautiful man of God. And there was a boy who had been mute since he'd entered the school. He was year, probably year 11. He was huge, bigger than me. And the children in the school had never heard him speak. Never. He used to communicate with children and teachers with a whiteboard to say what he was saying. The Lord showed me that before I prayed for him, the head teacher's there. This boy, um, uh, Miss, is a creative individual, isn't it? She said, yes, he is. She was kind of not phased by the words of knowledge. I said, I see him like with a, with a spinner's wheel creating things in art and craft. And I see him sewing and creating. I said, you're very creative, aren't you? And he went. And I said, and you had a tough time with your dad when you were young, didn't you? Anyway. I said, Jesus wants to give you a voice today. He said, do you want to speak again? So, well, the first name you're going to say is Jesus. Are you ready? This genuinely happened with a head teacher on the playground with me. I say, I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to pray for you with permission of the teachers, just gently, put my hand on his shoulder. And then you're going to say the name Jesus. Are you ready? And he went, Andrew Cannon witnessed this as well. Okay, say Jesus. And he went in a Barry White voice that I can't imitate. My voice is a bit more like Joe Pasquale than Barry White. But he went, Jesus, Jesus. It was very deep. And his friends all around him, there was about seven or eight of them around their mate. They were all smaller than him. Did this sort of coordinated dance move. They all literally stepped back at once and went like this. It was like it had been planned. And the head teacher was a motion, bit of a tear. The only reason the head didn't stay with me is because a fight broke out immediately. It's amazing what the enemy does, isn't it? Hey, it's what the devil does. So I start punching ten bells out of another lad on the place. She says, I need to go. And she was, this little woman gets in between these two big lads like this, breaking up a fight. I thought, that's impressive. Why am I telling you this story? Because we serve a living Jesus who loves people, regardless of where they're up to. Let me tell you one more story. I said I was going to say one more. On that same playground, there was a Satanist. Same playground. Pastor Tony Adegbenro brought this Satanist to me and said, Pastor Stephen, this, this boy is a Satan worshipper. Tony's well respected in this school and has got a free walk. Comes into the corridors and starts singing as he enters the school. And all the kids run to him like he's Mumfasa in The Lion King. Pastor Tony! They all run to him. This kid was a Satanist, and he had pain all the way through his body. 
all the way through. Struggled with pain. I said to him, mate, when did your pain start? Did it start when you started worshipping the devil? He went, yeah. Kind of steely, yeah. I said, do you want to get rid of the pain? He said, yeah. So we've got to give up Satan today. Will you do that? He said, Jesus is better. Yes, I will. He said, renounce Satan in all his ways and mean it when you say it. He did, he meant it. Didn't see anything, didn't hear anything, no demons flew out. So let me pray for you now. All the pain left his body in that moment. All the pain on the same playground. That day, about 40 people gave their life to Jesus. We had a safeguarding challenge in that we couldn't invite them to our church. They were under 16 unless their parents came. So we simply said to them, tell your parents about our church and ask if they'll bring you. But the kids went away with an experience of God a tangible experience of God. They observe with their eyes what the Lord can do. Let's get excited again about the Jesus we follow. Let's get excited about the Jesus who is calling everyone on planet Earth back to himself. It's a bit like the flood account where it says, my spirit will not contend with them much longer. God, by his spirit, is working on people's hearts right now, drawing him to himself in the bars, They've had enough of the gin or whatever, whatever they drink. That's where you're coming in as I'm looking at you. They've had enough, James. <laughs> you know why I'm saying that. They want Jesus. It doesn't satisfy anymore. He's the bread of life, he's the light of the world, and he's the door to God. And we'll follow him. We know his voice. He loves us, and he'll lead us to abundant life. He's a good shepherd. Good shepherd next week. Let me close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for elders outgoing, elders present. Bless these people. Bless their wives. Thank you, Jesus, for the church's history. We look forward to the 50-year anniversary as the shepherd leads us on. Pray, Father, that your kingdom would come in and through us in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Have a great Sunday. I'm at Skem Church teaching from Galatians. This afternoon, Justin and Charlotte are back in about a week-ish. So... That would be great for the team too. God bless you. Have a nice Sunday.